Section 59 of The Mysteries of London, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ed Damereau. The Mysteries of London, Volume 3, by George W. M. Reynolds. A Father. While the scenes related in the 55th chapter were taking place at the house in Red Lion Street, Mr. de Medina was pacing, in an agitated manner, his private apartment at his own residence. Esther had rightly divined his thoughts and intentions. He had indeed been debating in his own mind, for some time past, whether his duty as a father and as a man did not command him to forgive a daughter whom the hand of the Lord had so severely stricken. The Jew thought of his wife long dead, and murmured to himself, Were she still alive, she would be kneeling at my feet, imploring me to pardon the erring Tamar. And does she not now look down upon me from those Empyrean heights, where her sainted spirit is numbered with the blessed? Nay, more, do I not see her image now kneeling before me? Oh, can this be imagination? Yes, it is. It is. And yet how like the reality. Mr. de Medina was so painfully excited that his fancy, for a moment, conjured up the semblance of his deceased wife, as she had appeared in the pride of her loveliness long years before. But when the evanescent illusion had passed away, he again paced the room, a prey to the most painful indecision and doubt. He longed to recall Tamar to his favor, and yet he feared to compromise his character for firmness and decision. So strange, and yet so sure it is, that even in those moments when our best feelings are agitated within us to the purest and holiest ends, a miserable sentiment of worldly vanity intervenes, and if it do not altogether mar good deeds, at least impairs the merit of their excellence by engendering hesitation, wavering, and delay. Mr. de Medina's conflicting, battling meditations were suddenly interrupted by a loud knock at the street door, and a servant shortly after announced to his master that the Earl of Ellingham was waiting in the drawing-room. The Jew remained in his chamber for a few minutes to compose his countenance and collect his scattered ideas, ere he descended to meet the nobleman. When he entered the drawing-room, he immediately saw, by Arthur's face, that it was no visit of mere ceremonious courtesy which was now paid to that house. "'My dear Earl,' said Mr. de Medina, "'you have been lost to the world for some weeks, and I must confess that, when I received the letter which you did me the honour to address to me nearly a month ago, I entertained fears lest business of an unpleasant nature called you thus abruptly away from England. That letter, my dear sir, answered the earl, was not precisely such an one as I should have written to you had I been free from restraint. The nobleman then related, in as few words as possible, the outrage that had been perpetrated upon him, the imprisonment he had endured for four mortal weeks, and the manner in which he had escaped. Mr. de Medina expressed his indignation and surprise at the treatment which the young nobleman had undergone, and inquired if the motive could be accounted for. 
I am totally at a loss to conjecture who were my enemies, and the cause of their abominable proceedings, answered the Earl. But let us waive that subject for the present, my dear sir, he continued, as it is my duty to engage your attention with other and more important matters. Mr. de Medina pointed to a seat near the fire, and then drew a chair for himself to within a short distance of that taken by the Earl. "'I am about to mention a name to you, my dear Mr. Medina,' continued the nobleman, "'which may perhaps, nay, will certainly sound unpleasantly upon your ears. But you know me too well to imagine for an instant that I should thoughtlessly or wantonly give you pain. I allude to Thomas Rainford.' The Jew started, and his countenance fell. "'This Thomas Rainford, Mr. de Medina,' resumed Arthur, has wronged you, wronged you deeply, and not for a moment do I attempt to defend his conduct. But how know you, my lord, that the wretched man, who is now no more, and against whose memory common humanity orders me not to nourish animosity, Mr. de Medina, interrupted the earl in a low and solemn tone, as he bent towards the Jew, Thomas Rainford lives. "'Lives?' ejaculated Mr. de Medina, in a voice loud with excitement and surprise. "'Hush! Speak low, in a whisper. The walls have ears,' said Arthur impatiently. "'In the name of heaven, compose yourself. Calm your mind, Mr. de Medina, for I have much to communicate to you, and that much of the first importance.' "'Proceed, my lord,' said the Jew coldly. "'I am all attention.' it is then true that rainford lives and yet scarce an hour has passed since men were crying the account of his execution for sale in the street beneath his very window observed mr de medina in an incredulous tone it is as true that he is now alive as that he underwent the ordeal of the terrible rope even as the pamphlet vendors proclaim beneath your window continued the earl in a word, he has been resuscitated by the wondrous agency of galvanism. "'Good God! My lord, is this possible?' cried Mr. de Medina. "'Or do my ears deceive me?' "'Again I implore you to master your feelings,' said the Earl, "'for I have another circumstance, almost equally strange, to reveal to you. "'Thomas Rainford is nearly related to me. "'To you?' "'To your lordship?' exclaimed Mr. de Medina. "'Yes, the same father was the author of our being, though different mothers bore us. "'He is my half-brother, and all the proofs thereof are in my possession. "'Nay, more, and this I reveal to you to prove the confidence I place in you. "'He is my elder brother legitimately born, and is the rightful Earl of Ellingham.' Mr. de Medina gazed on the young nobleman in speechless astonishment, with an amazement indeed so profound that it seemed as if he were suddenly paralyzed by the announcement which had just met his ears. The Earl then rapidly sketched the outline of Rainford's birth, and without in any way alluding to Lady Hatfield, stated that accident had brought them together, and had led to the revelation of all those wondrous circumstances. Arthur did not, however, forget to mention the generous conduct of Rainford 
in refusing to avail himself of papers which would have placed a coronet on his brow and vast estates at his disposal and also in consigning those papers to the possession of arthur himself mr de medina was perfectly astounded at all he heard and he listened in silent wonderment no longer interrupted the narrator with comment or question the earl proceeded to inform him how the whole scheme for the resuscitation of the doomed man had been arranged between himself and dr lascelles and how it had perfectly succeeded indeed added arthur i left my half-brother just awakened from a profound sleep and though much enfeebled still beyond the reach of danger but spare me the necessity of describing to you the first moments of horror boundless appalling horror which he experienced when slowly opening his eyes he awoke to the recollection of all he had this morning gone through and to the wildest doubts as to where he was and what had actually become of him oh mr de medina it was a scene which the memories of those who beheld it never never could fail to retain even though madness were to destroy the discriminating powers of the intellect but all that is past gone by and my brother lives conscious too of resuscitated existence my dear earl said mr de medina at length breaking the long silence which had been maintained on his part i have read and heard many wildly wonderful narratives in my time truths also far stranger than fictions genuine occurrences which outvie all the marvels of romance but never never do i firmly believe has mortal tongue related nor mortal ear listened to a history more amazing more solemnly interesting than this should these facts ever transpire to the world and be seized upon by the novelist as the basis of a tale those who may read having been previously unacquainted with those facts would exclaim tis impossible oh what a work might be written under the title the mysteries of london but pardon me for wasting your valuable time with these comments i say pardon me because i perceive that you have more yet to relate i have indeed said the earl trembling for the success of the mission which had taken him to mr de medina's house and i am now compelled to touch upon a subject which cannot be otherwise than painful to you i understand you my lord interrupted the jew proceed for i know that you would not refer to that topic without a well-intentioned motive such is indeed the case said the earl but not to use more words than are necessary as time is precious i shall at once inform you that i am acquainted with a sad episode in my half-brother's life which relates to to your elder daughter go on my lord said the jew mastering his emotions but not until this morning till within an hour ago continued the earl was i aware that you possessed two daughters the moment that rainford was pronounced to be out of danger i dispatched a faithful messenger to bring the tidings to her who loves him and whom he loves so well but while this messenger was absent i had occasion to leave for a short time the house where thomas rainford now lies an accident led me to encounter miss esther pardon me when i state that a variety of circumstances 
which I will some day explain, had for several weeks past induced me to believe that she, whom I now know to be an angel of purity and goodness, was the being so dear to my brother, and anxious to relieve her mind, as I thought, from the agony of grief into which the supposed fate of Rainford must have plunged her, anxious also that her presence should greet his eyes upon wakening from the deep sleep that followed the galvanic resuscitation. I led her, dragged her, with me to the house I ere now spoke of, saying, Heaven only knows what incoherent things to her as we sped along, and to which I remember now, she listened, and replied with an amazement since explained. But in the meantime, Jacob Smith, the messenger whom I had sent to your elder daughter, had arrived with her, and thus, you perceive how innocently on my part, the sisters were brought together by the bedside of my brother. Esther and Tamar together, ejaculated Mr. de Medina, starting from his seat in mingled anger and surprise. Then, suddenly, changing to an aspect of profound sorrow, he murmured, O oh, Esther, thine oath, thine oath. She did not violate it, Mr. de Medina, said the earl emphatically. As well might it be asserted that, had you sworn never to enter my house, and were you carried thither by force, your vow would be willfully, wickedly broken. No, Miss de Medina knew not whither she was going, knew not whom she was to see, knew not that her sister would be there. If any one has erred in all this, tis I, and yet I, Mr. de Medina, added the earl proudly, am incapable of doing a bad deed. There lives not the man who, with truth, could impute me to aught that I should be ashamed to have published before all the world, and it is not to boast of untarnished rectitude, of a bright fame, of an unsullied reputation that I now speak. But it is to convince you, you, Mr. de Medina, a man of the world, yourself upright beyond all doubt, honorable beyond all possibility of impeachment, it is to convince you that, if I have incurred your displeasure, I did not the act wantonly, and that I deserve forgiveness. Excellent young man, exclaimed the Jew, grasping the Earl's hand, and wringing it with even paternal warmth. Who shall dare to impute sinister motives to one like you? No, oh no, were all the scions of the aristocracy as noble-hearted as yourself, endowed with such feelings as you possess, they would be a blessing instead of a curse, and ashamed of this country. I was unjust, added Mr. de Medina more slowly, unjust towards my beloved and amiable Esther, and unjust also in respect to you. But, oh, my lord, continued the Jew, while the tears rolled down his cheeks, it is hard, it is hard to have the honor of one's name tarnished by a disobedient daughter, and such as the lost the unhappy Tamar. The best of us in this world are but poor, erring, sinful mortals in the eyes of him who was all-perfect, but who was likewise all-merciful, said the earl in a solemn and impressive tone. Alas, but a few minutes have passed since I proclaimed my rectitude, vain boaster that I was, and lauded your integrity, miserable flatterer that I was. 
but I then spoke as men speak, as we mortals are accustomed to estimate our characters for honour and probity. Nevertheless, in the sight of heaven, we are sinners, wretched sinners, and our only hopes are in God's illimitable mercy. Then, Mr. de Medina, as you hope for salvation in another world, as you expect forgiveness at the hands of the Almighty for those failings wherewith the very best of us are characterized, I implore, I beseech you, to pardon your daughter Tamar. Glorious, almost godlike, was the enthusiasm with which the fine young nobleman urged his strong appeal, the stronger for all the sincerity of the argument which prefaced it. Mr. de Medina gazed upon him with mingled wonder and admiration. But when the earl had done speaking, the Jew turned aside and paced the room in a manner betraying the most painful agitation. "'Think not,' resumed Arthur, also rising from his seat, "'that I am one of those wretched hypocrites, who, in their sickly cant, make use of the holiest names and the most sacred arguments, to win a cause in which they are interested only through selfish and worldly motives? No, I should scorn to reduce myself to such a level.' I should hate myself were I capable of such contemptible duplicity. It is not he who prays longest and loudest that is the most sincere. But I appeal to you, by all things sacred, I, the Christian, appeal to you, the Jew, by those doctrines which form the basis of the creed in which we both put faith, doctrines which teach us the goodness of the Almighty, as manifested toward the Israelites by all he did for your forefathers. Thereby do I appeal to you to receive an erring daughter back to your arms and ensure her of your pardon. Still, Mr. de Medina replied not, but continued to pace the room. Were your daughter Esther, the amiable, the excellent Esther, here, continued Lord Ellingham, she would not perhaps intercede so vainly as I. During the rapid explanations, which were ere now vouchsafed to me by the repentant Tamar herself, explanations which have shown me how ineffably beyond all human praise is the conduct of the younger towards her elder sister, I learnt more of the heart of woman than ever I knew before. My ideas, my sentiments, concerning woman and her mission here, have always been of the loftiest kind. But now I am led to recognize something angelic, something heavenly in her disposition. Oh, Mr. de Medina, had I such a sister as Esther, never, never would I permit a tear to dim the brightness of her eye. If it were in my power to wipe it away, never, never would I allow a pang to steal into her gentle breast. If deed or word of mine could avert it. For I declare your younger daughter to be a very angel of excellence and moral worth, and your entire nation should be proud of the name Esther de Medina. My lord, my dear earl, faltered the father, approaching the young nobleman and taking his hand, if the Jews should be proud of Esther, the Christians may, with good cause, glory in their Arthur of Ellingham. But, if this must be, if Tamar should once more receive from me the name of daughter, how? 
i understand you my dear friend interrupted the nobleman you would ask you would know what course is to be pursued in respect to my half-brother the jew made a hasty sign for his companion to proceed i must confess that this difficulty struck me forcibly ere i came hither just now continued arthur my half-brother is devotedly attached to your daughter and tamar is equally wrapped up in him to separate them in my opinion would be the height of cruelty for you to forgive your daughter and consent to allow her to dwell in concubinage with rainford are things i know to be incompatible but is there no course open to them listen to the plan which i suggested before i left those who are no doubt so anxiously waiting my return it is this to-morrow night if dr lascelles accord his permission i shall accompany my half-brother to france where he will proceed as soon as possible to the united states of america for in the hasty explanations which ere now took place between us all i learnt that he had already expedited thither a considerable sum of money his intention having been to proceed with tamar to the new world when his project was suddenly marred by his arrest while he is away and in safety i shall exert myself to obtain his full pardon for i shall privately represent to the minister all the circumstances of this most extraordinary case to-morrow night then we proceed to dover whence we shall embark for france tis for you and your daughters to follow us to paris and there the hands of tamar and thomas rainford may be united in the chapel of the british embassy i am well aware that it will be a protestant marriage only that in your eyes it may be insufficient so far as it regards the creed of your daughter but it is the least of two evils for believe me tamar and my brother are so devoted to each other that they would never consent to separate no tamar would not quit him even to receive her father's pardon thus they would continue to live in that state which is repugnant to the feelings of society a state unhallowed by the rights of the church where two hearts are thus closely connected and are wedded to all intents and purposes by the mere fact of their binding affections tell me tell me does it matter much at which of god's altars the blessing of heaven shall be invoked you will pardon your daughter you will receive her back into your arms you will give her to one who loves her most tenderly and who has ever treated her as if she were his wife and after the ceremony shall have been performed albeit a protestant one you may say proudly and unblushingly to those who learn that you have another daughter and who inquire concerning her you may say fearlessly she is married mr de medina walked towards the window for a few moments to conceal his tears but he could not conceal them and with a holy dew trickling down his cheeks he turned again to the nobleman saying in a tremulous and broken voice my friend my dearest friend i yield you have subdued me it shall be as you have designed it the earl pressed mr de medina's hand with fervent warmth with the ardour of gratitude come with me at once delay not a moment exclaimed arthur his own eyes also dimmed with tears 
and he hurried Mr. de Medina to the hackney coach, which was waiting at the door. End of section 59